G'day folks, welcome to Pause and Listen, a podcast series brought to you by Big Dog Pet Foods, the leading pet nutrition provider in Australia with over 20 years of experience in the pet industry. We provide educational resources for pet parents and are proud of being transparent in everything we do. The podcast series is hosted by me, Johnny Manning, and we bring you interviews and deep dives into pet nutrition, pet care, training, and regular Ask a Vet segments. So thanks for tuning in. Now get your tails wagging and we'll get yapping. Good day, pet owners, fur parents, and lovers of all creatures, great and small. Welcome to Pause and Listen. It's a Big Dog Pet Foods podcast and a place for you to come and find out all manner of pet-related information. My name's Johnny Manning, and today I have a real treat for you. I'm going to talk to a guy who goes by the moniker, The Healing Vet. This guy grew up on a cattle farm in all places in North Queensland. Now, by that alone, you know he's going to be a good bloke because I'm from North Queensland <laughs> myself, of course. But he's also yeah, he's also a fellow who's found himself enjoying, a, I guess, an in, intimate and mutually trusting relationship with animals. He's the one, the only, the pet-tastic, the healing vet, Dr. Edward Bathingsweight. Dr. Edward, thanks for joining the show today. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, look, it's an absolute pleasure. Look, we're going to delve into a topic today that is a little bit of a tearjerker, but I think it's an important one. And unfortunately, I probably have some personal experience to share with you down the track as we enter into this discussion. I th- hopefully Camilla here from Big Dog has got a nice big box of tissues ready because I'm probably going to burst out as Niagara Falls as we as we uh, go deeper down the rabbit hole of this conversation. But to start off with Dr. Edward, I want to talk a little bit about you. I want to ask about your origin story. Uh, I'm getting a real Dr. Doolittle vibe off you. And uh, <laughs> I want to know how y- you went from growing up on a farm in, in North Queensland to then taking the step to becoming a vet. Well, Dr. Dr. Doolittle was a favourite book of mine. <laughs> I was kind of precocious and read a lot from a very young age. Um, well, you know, I've been working with animals from a very early age because probably from the age of about seven or eight or nine um, on the on the cattle property, I was involved with, you know, mustering, working cattle through the yards. There were dogs and, and cats and all kinds of animals. So I've been working with animals all my life, which is, you know, very f- fortunate circumstances because time time in the saddle, so to speak, there's no there's no sort of substitute for experience. Um I remember vets coming to do TB testing when I was a kid and being fascinated by that and thinking, wow, I'd love to do that. I remember reading the James Herriot books and and also thinking that, wow, that'd be just a, a great thing to do. Uh, I did a lot of, we, we bred and trained horses, competed on horses. So in my teenage years, I was very, very passionate about that side of things. Uh, I came across the work of Monty Roberts, when I was a younger man, as a man who listens to horses, so that was where I really started to open up to the possibility of learning how to communicate in the language of the animal, so that they can understand you and want to build a relationship of trust and actually want to work with you rather than using force, like is a kind of dominant paradigm in in the in our more industrialized world, you know. So then, when I got to uni, I did a veterinary de- the veterinary degree 
in large part because I thought, wow, you know, it'd be a great one to take back home and take over the farm with. But life kind of put a few curveballs in my way in that um, I went, my first vet job was in, in mixed practice and it was just an awful job with terrible bosses and long hours and no pay for after hours. And after 18 months of that, I was seriously questioning if I ever wanted to be a vet anymore. So I did, went and did a bit of locum work. I ran into a, a, a horse vet called Dr. Tom Ahern who woke me up to working with the spine and things like that. So I started um, exploring and experimenting with looking for and finding and, and treating neck and back pain with physical therapies, which I had to learn myself because there were no modalities to learn in those days, 20, 27 years ago. Can you believe it? Wow. Then I went over to the UK. I was doing temporary jobs over there and I, I became extremely unwell with chronic fatigue syndrome and what I didn't know to another maybe 10 or 15 years later was Lyme disease as well. So I had to come home. I couldn't work wow. for a couple of years at all. And that's what really kicked me into being an integrative holistic and into the intuitive and energy healing side of things because um, Western medicine helped me a little bit in the beginning. And then, you know, if you've got a syndrome, it means the doctors don't know what's going on, essentially. So I explored a whole lot of complementary alternative stuff, energy healing, and found that it was one of the things that helped me more than anything else. Uh, then I started to experiment with bringing that into my practice, found that animals responded really well to it. At first, I was working in other people's hospitals. Most of them were very closed-minded about more complementary alternative things. Then about 17 years ago, I started my first um, practice of my own, the home visit vet in Townsville. And that's when I could really start to, to dig into the complementary holistic stuff and really expand into more touch-based and energy-based therapies. I created the whole energy body balance method, which is um, a body work and energy healing modality for pets, people and horses. Started teaching that in face-to-face -face classes probably about 10 or 11 years ago. And then in 2019, we took those trainings online and we just haven't looked back from there. We've got 36 or 37 certified practitioners all around the world and seven certified teachers. So, yeah, that's that's my life story in a nutshell. It's an amazing story. And the, the amount of questions that came across my brain as you stepped us through that, I guess, that, that sort of 30-year story or even longer is um, we've got a lot of rabbit holes we could have gone down there, Dr. Edward. But I, Absolutely. I, I, from a human point of view, I want to briefly touch on Lyme disease. For people who don't know what that is, can you give it, give me an explanation of what Lyme disease is and how hard that is to overcome? So Lyme disease is a tick-borne bacterial disease, the, the bacteria Borrelia, which is a spirochete bacteria. Um, you get bitten by a tick, then you get sick. Uh, it's even though the the kind of orthodox medical industry in Australia, for whatever reason, refuses to accept that Lyme is in Australia, it is in Australia. I know that a really good integrative doctor in Brisbane was actually deregistered for testing people for Lyme, which wow. I believe that you know, makes makes my blood boil when I hear stories like that. But what it is, is that it's an intracellular bacterial parasite. So once it, the infection moves into your body, it lives inside your cells and it basically eats up all your energy and nutrients and also triggers your inflammatory cascades to hide from the immune system, which causes a lot of the symptoms. Wow. Oh, pretty impressive that you managed to, uh, I guess, overcome that and then I, I guess even move into a into an area that, that potentially helps people overcome their own conditions with their pets you talk about 
providing holistic uh, care for, for a pet, but then also putting the responsibility of the pet's care back into the owner's hands. Explain that to me. Well, I believe that, that pet owners, pet parents, pet guardians, there's a lot more that they can do than most people think is possible, and particularly when it comes to getting hands-on skills to, to feel into the body and find soft tissue pain, silent pain, which around about 53% of people miss. Uh, and many vets miss, and that doesn't mean they're bad vets, it just means they've got a, a knowledge and skill gap that is still going on to this day. But the better you get to know your pet and the more you gain skills to look after them, well, you know, the healthier they're going to be. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to need your vet because you do need your vet, but you will take your animals to the vet sooner if you're more aware. Yeah. And if you're more aware and you're really holistic and you have a good diet and you're doing regular um, you know, self-care for your pets with bodywork and things like that, you, you're probably not going to need the vet as much as you would otherwise. Yeah. It's a pretty honourable mission for a, for a vet to actually take on that as, you know, as I said, it's front and centre on your website. So it's pretty cool to read that coming from a vet. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, look, as I said before, I reckon uh, there's about 10 conversations we're going to have to put a pin in, but we'll get to them at some point <laughs> in the future. But we've got today's topic that we're going to get into and uh you know you say you provide holistic care and this is certainly part of that in my opinion it's how to say goodbye to your loved one and it's uh it's almost kismet that that you that i'm talking to you about this today because i i have a bulldog pug who's on the crest of 14 years old and he's slowing down tremendously and it's certainly front and center in my mind and even i think it was three weeks ago we thought it was it with him but he's managed to bounce back even better than he was, you know, six months ago. So mm -hmm. we're very lucky. Why Why do we have to prepare for this? Tell, tell me that. Why is it something that pet owners have to prepare for? I think there's a few reasons why. And now I've got a 15-and-a-half-year-old whippet. I'm in the same place as you. Every day I'm looking at her and she goes out and lies in the sun and sometimes I go, are you still yeah. alive, old girl? Yeah. You've, you're still breathing and it's it's a really tender time you know it's a difficult time the more the more you think about it before you get there the more likely you are to make a decision that's going to be in the best interests and, and in the most timely sort of way for your old friend when i talk to people when i work with people often new clients come into me and they come in with with their animal and they're often carrying a whole lot of guilt around past deaths of animals past transitions and about 40 percent of people when i talk to them uh, are still really giving themselves a hard time beating the absolute bejesus out of themselves because they thought they helped their pet transition too soon yeah and about 40 percent of the people i talk to are doing the same thing because they thought they left it too late now the first thing if you're listening to me right now that i'm going to invite you to do is to forgive yourself if you're doing that because it's not going to help anyone it's not going to help your next decision making process and and i honestly believe that whatever time you've chosen to help your old friend transition in the past has just been when it's become that moment that it's inevitable and it needs to happen and it's the perfect time and if you have hung on a bit too long you know there's been good reasons for that because of your emotional state of being and lack of awareness or whatever at that time so your old friend if, if if you asked him you know do you want me to be punishing myself because of what happened your your old dog would be saying don't be silly don't do that it's not not what our pets want us to do so i think it's really good 
when you're coming to that end stage to, to have a think about trigger times, decision points of when it might be time to make the decision. And, and for me, um, there's a few big ones. One is if, you, if your pet stops eating altogether, if they, they, they totally go off their food when they're really old and unwell, you know, well, you might go to the vet and they might find that they've got a raging fever and an infection and you treat it and they go back on their tucker. But if you've got a really old animal and they suddenly stop eating or slowly stop eating and they lose interest in eating food, I think that's one decision. Over how long a period of time? I mean, is it, are they off their food for a day or three days? What sort of period of time? Because dogs can go off their food for yeah, a, a day I, or so. I would, I would think that if you're looking at three, four days or up to a week or so it depends there's a few other things you need to take into account i mean another decision point is that they look at you and they're just telling you i'm done we're not all dr doolittle no but most people will know right right. most people you'll just get this look of oh man this is too hard i can't do it anymore it hurts too much i'm too tired it's just i just i'm done right now if you're really emotionally close and and potentially emotionally entangled with your animal, you might need to talk to some friends and say, right, I'm feeling too close to my dog. I can't tell, make a good decision. If this was your dog, what would you do? And get a bit of a cross-section from two or three or four friends or go to your vet and say to your vet, look, I just, I'm, I'm worried that it might be time and I'm, I'm not sure if I can tell. And your vet will give you an honest opinion about that. Yeah. Um, another decision point for me is if you get an animal that can't get up anymore, if they've been old and stiff and rickety and there comes a day when it's just like, <clears throat> I can't get up on my feet anymore, that's another decision point for me. Uh, if they get really, really demented and their quality of life is poor. So a, a quality of life decision point can be, are we having more bad days than good days on average over a couple of weeks or a month or so? And if, if that's the case, then it can kind of be, be good to make the decision so that that your animals can have a bit more dignity and 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 go a bit sooner without dragging it out too much does that all make sense yeah it does it it really does but when do you think as pet parents or dog parents we should start you know thinking about these plans and making these plans is it you know is it the first indicator which you then monitor or do you think is, is it like having a baby where you have your bag packed and your you know, your plan to, plan to the hospital all, you know, written out and phone calls to make and et cetera, et cetera. Should it be planned out in that kind of detail or do you sort of say tackle it as it comes? Well, I think it's a bit of bit of each. Uh, you know, you can have these things where even a younger animal, you suddenly get a really serious diagnosis like osteosarcoma, bone cancer, or, you know, maybe a cancer somewhere in the jaw that is really inoperable without removing half the the head, which is not something that I would do to my dogs. I think it can be good to think about these things now, regardless of how old your dog is, so that when you, if something does come up unexpectedly, you've had time to process it, think about it, get into a place where you've got a a headspace around what kind of um, things you're going to use to help you make a good decision when the time comes. But with an older animal, well, you know, when they are showing obvious decline and starting to look really old and rickety, then it's good to sit down with the whole family and talk about this. Talk with your kids. You know, get the whole family in the room and a box of tissues and and say, right, you know, we need to just have a talk about, you know, old Blossy or 
or Buddha or whatever you want to call them, you know, and and talk about the process and the potential decision points so that then everyone's in the family is on board. Um, if you've got kids, if they're at all willing to be involved in the actual process of helping the animal go, I think that's a great idea. I mean, it's emotionally challenging for them, yeah, but it's also, I honestly believe one of our domestic pets, our dogs and cats, really big spiritual purpose with us is helping us experience transition and death because in our human society these days we're very divorced from ever experiencing much of that it's certainly an interesting point you mentioned a couple of things before uh regarding you know an older dog uh, you know showing some signs and then having to i guess get comfortable with the decision as those signs progress but where's where do you think the line is um what's the point of no return you know you said you uh, having to remove half a dog's jaw or a certain amount of treatment. I mean, a, a friend of mine had to transition her beagle maybe 18 months ago. It was because he had a certain type of cancer, and she said, there's no way I'm putting him through the treatment that's required. He doesn't deserve that. So yep. th- 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 there's, a, there's a tipping point, isn't there? Well, it's a really unique and individual thing, right? So everyone's going to have a different decision-making process. Some people are going to say, right, we're going, to, we're going to try the chemo and we're going to do everything we can. And another person say, oh, I don't want to put my dog through chemo. I don't think I put myself through chemo. Yeah. And either choice is, is equally valid. It's about supporting your animal through the process in the most beautiful way that you can, you know, with appropriate pain relief and keeping the quality of life as good as you can. Uh, and chemo sometimes can be great. Yeah. Sometimes it will give you an extra six months, 12 months or, or way, way longer depending on the type of cancer and what's going on. Now, you know, my old Whippet now, if she had something major come up at this point, there's no way that I I would be doing any kind of interventions at all because I don't think it would be fair for her. I got her teeth cleaned in December and because her vital energies are so poor, they're they're shocking again already in only a matter of a few months and that that shouldn't happen. But I'm not going to do another anaesthetic for her. Mind you, I can't go anywhere near a breath. She's like a dragon. <laughs> oh, the poor thing. But um, so let, let's say in your situation, this is a hypothetical moving forward, let's say she did get given that kind of diagnosis. Do you then start, that's your point to start planning. I mean, and if you haven't already, you'd be going, okay, well then I can't let her get too bad as this condition progresses. I need to find a point there where it's time for me to take that, that last step right if at the moment with the age that she is and with where she's at if she had any kind of major diagnosis i'd probably be be organizing to take her in in the next couple of days yeah okay so that that's that's got people have got to be in that position sometimes where it does come on them pretty quickly and they have to they may have been thinking about it as i have but then it becomes real very quickly doesn't it oh look i, I was reading a conversation on on the there's a big veterinary group on facebook um australian veterinary network and one of the vets was saying that that her dog at a year and a half old got diagnosed with a osteosarcoma in the rib yeah now to operate they would have had to remove two whole ribs and <sighs> she just thought can't do it and osteosarcoma being so incredibly painful you know if anyone comes to me with a dog with osteosarcoma i say right you've got two choices you amputate the limb or you take your dog and help them go tomorrow because no pain relief is going to be able to deal with that kind of pain it just it just doesn't work, right? And 
that's that's kind of where I'm at. Quality of life is important. Yeah. And we probably should talk a little bit too about looking after the human through this because that's really critically important is that you've got to have self-care. Yeah. Now, particularly if you've got any kind of post-traumatic stress, mental illness, trauma in your background, your dog is even if they're not officially a support dog, they, they are your support dog and you co-regulate your nervous system with them. And when you lose them, you need to make sure you got the resources in place in terms of therapists and, you know, community and family and friends and all of these things to make sure that you don't um, crash. And, you know, there's a significant risk for people who live alone I've only got one dog and got this kind of background that they suicide after their dog dies. So, you know, that's the thing that whenever I have people come to me with this, I start saying, well, what are you doing for yourself? What's your self-care like? Because when you do get a diagnosis or an old dog that suddenly has something go on, often people just drop everything to look after themselves and they burn themselves out looking after the dog. Then the dog comes to the end and they have to help them go and they're left in a really bad place so you need to consider yourself too in this process and take great care to to have good strong self-care and you know if you're really struggling mentally and emotionally you need to go to your doctor and tell them what's going on and get on it here in australia at least get on a treatment plan with a good therapist you need to reach out to your family and your friends and your social networks and say look i'm not coping i need help particularly people uh, and particularly women who don't have human children and have, have pets, they're also in this category that the pet is the same energetically and emotionally as losing a child. You're losing a family member. This is a big thing. Uh, our society in general doesn't necessarily understand that very well, but you need to care for yourself through your pet's transition so that, you know, your pets... And I've had people come to me who, who've said basically, oh, you know, I've sorted out. So when the time comes, I'm gonna we're gonna top me and the pet together. <laughs> you know, it's kind of full on. And what I say to people in that position, I say is, do you think your dog wants you to kill yeah. yourself? No, they don't. No, they don't. Right. No. And that's that's the thing. They absolutely don't. But I've had a number of people that have that that it's clear that losing their pet is a real suicide risk. I lost a. Uh... My Mastiff, he was only seven, just over a year ago. Um, it was very, very sudden. He basically just dropped dead in the backyard. Just looking at him one minute, he's running uh -huh. around the next minute. He's dead on the ground and I'm, you know, uh, trying to work at his airway to see if he'd choked on something and he was dead. And I still, he's 55 kilos, I had to pick him up and still rushed him to a vet on a Sunday morning and went through that process. And um, I've had, I've lost family members as well. And it's comparable. Mm -hmm. The the you know, uh, you know we're, we're talking about planning for an animal to transition. You know, it's there's as you said, there's a certain amount of self care that needs to go in when one dies suddenly as well. That that time after you've really got to ha yeah. ha have some supports yeah, in yeah. place to to uh, to care for you. I was lucky I did have another dog, and uh, I guess as a bit of a segue, I wanted to say to you, I, I went home and got my other dog to come in and actually say goodbye. And I don't know if that was a good thing to do or not, but oh, yes. what do you think? No, that, that's, that's, I think it's, if at all possible, it's incredibly helpful for the other dogs in the household to see that 
either be there when the when you're helping them go yeah. or come in afterwards and and actually see that they're gone yeah you know i've had one client who said that they took one of their dogs away and never came back and the other dog sat at the gate for weeks where's my friend where's my friend what's going on yeah so yeah i think it's incredibly helpful to do that if at all possible and if, if you can get someone to come and and help your pet transition in your home yeah i think there's a lot to be said for that too well funnily enough i know i mentioned that my my current fella went through some issues a few weeks ago we've actually been dog sitting for a friend with you know a dog that he's known for about 10 years and he's even gone up a couple of more levels just having another dog around the house he's you know, he's, he's more full of life and more active. So just that little thing has actually helped him out immensely in the last sort of four or five days. Might be time for a puppy. Yeah, that's what my my, uh, my partner's been telling me, that she's been dropping that subtle hint a number of times in the last week. Hey, you mentioned something before I wanted to briefly touch on. You said, you know, if you potentially you do have some PTSD, you've been through some personal trauma and your animal has been that support um crutch for you you said you co-regulate your nervous systems with your dog or your pet tell me about that i find that fascinating so this is something i've been thinking a lot about because i i've been working with a person from the us who's got severe complex post-traumatic stress and has just recently lost her support dog and you know she's she's been struggling she's having behaviors and feelings come up that she hasn't had to deal with for a long time She's also talked to a friend of hers who's a you know ex um, armed forces guy with really severe combat post traumatic stress syndrome, who's lost a service dog and come through it. And he said he knows fifteen or twenty people in in the kind of armed forces community that after they lost their support dog have, have killed themselves. Oh man! So you know, and well, you know, this person is now going to write a book. And set up a website to help people through this whole thing. So, and, and I'm going to be involved in that because I think it's an incredibly important thing that there's no sense of, right, you know what, if your support dog's getting to older age, you need a new support puppy. Yeah. <laughs> so that you've got continuity. Yeah. And, but so you can think about self regulation, you know, a healthy person with a healthy nervous system can regulate themselves into a state of healthy relaxation and and stay in there and and be solid and even in the face of stresses they might come out a little bit but they can move back into it now post-traumatic stress they're stuck on they're stuck in fight flight they're stuck with a sympathetic nervous system jammed on and and it's very hard for them to come back into into relaxation now what happens with co-regulation is that when you interact with another being you get mirror neurons firing so that you you get this whole mirroring in your neurology you get um, every time you touch and interact with your dog you get release of oxytocin and a whole lot of these really beneficial um, hormones in your system so what happens then is that the dog helps you especially if you're more inclined to be over in this kind of unhealthy stress ptsd type thing the dog's present helps your nervous system regulate into a healthier state and closer to relaxation and more resilience. Yep. I had three dogs come in last week on, on my clinical day. I do one day a week of clinical work and three off the charts, 
anxious, crazy dogs. And guess what? All the people were <laughs> off the charts anxious. A great surprise. And this is really, really common. And these people, yeah. when I talk to them, yeah, I do have anxiety and, yeah, I've got really poor ability to regulate and I struggle. Yeah. Now, when I'm doing the therapeutic touch work, which then relaxes the dog, you know, you'll see the dog go like this. <sighs> and then a tenth of a second later, the human does the same thing because they, their nervous system is regulating, co-regulating, talking, communicating, coming into harmony with their dog while I'm working with the dog. It's amazing. All the time when I'm working with animals that they'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be working with the dog, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll burp because that's a parasympathetic activation. Your gut activates when your parasympathetic nervous system turns on. The dog will burp. You see the human from the beginning of the session, you know, the human will be tense. They'll be kind of pale because they don't have a lot of blood flow to their face. By the end of the session, you see their shoulders soften, there's more flush in their face, their face relaxes. So the human responds very strongly to what I'm doing with the animal. This is what I mean by co-regulation. Yeah, right. Yeah? And that makes sense. Is that why some dogs and owners look the same as well? Yeah, there's that, that, that whole theory that, that they look the same. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that we're, we're drawn to dogs that have similar kind of energy patterns to ourselves. Yeah. And I think too that... Um, it's really common for dogs to have similar issues going on with as their humans do. And I've never seen any research in this, but it'd be kind of interesting to look in that one day, I think. Could be why my dog spends most of its time sleeping. It's mirroring me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's pretty bloody cruel, isn't it, that dogs love us so hard and yet they leave us so early. Well, again, you know, I think that part of their purpose is to help us to crack our hearts open. Yeah. And there's nothing that cracks your heart open more than grief. That's true. And You know, grief is a measure of love. It's a direct, absolute measure of how much love there is, how much your grief you experience when they go. What did you experience that actually made you start to focus on, I mean, you've got a very broad remit, but actually start to say, okay, people need to begin to plan how to transition their animal what did you what what, what, did something happen you thought okay I really need to delve into this I think it's just been a gradual evolution you know when I first graduated and I was helping animals transition I was like shut down and blocked off and I couldn't deal with the emotions of the people um you know my, my healing journey has opened me up to be to be able to be present with myself and the more present I can be with myself and the more more capacity I have for healthy discomfort and sitting with, you know, whatever's coming up in myself that might be uncomfortable, then the more I can be present with the people. And I think other things that I've learned, I mean, I've always been a really highly sensitive human being and, and I'm on the, on the spectrum. So I had a lot of social stresses and challenges when I was younger. But I've learned how to manage my energy so that I can have I can be present with really intense stuff going on and it doesn't affect me adversely anymore. You know, I can feel what's going on with people in my body, that empathic connection. I might have sadness and tears come up when I'm working with clients. Yeah. You know, my, my superpower is, is making people cry. I Just about everyone who comes in to see me as a vet will be talking away and at some point in the conversation they burst into tears <laughs> because I've what they're suppressing and then I name it and then it all whoo, comes up in their body and they burst into tears. But it also shows that the people that are coming to see you, they, they need to cry and you're just being that conduit to help them process whatever they're feeling and that crying coming out, I bet you they feel a million bucks better when they're leaving. 
Well, yeah, I think, well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe sometimes it's a yeah. bit confronting for people to, to have strong emotions come up. But if they're going to come and see me, then it's going to happen because that's just how I roll. Hey, tell me this. Um, having my connections with Big Dog over the years, um, I've certainly noticed that the uh, perception in the public zeitgeist and specifically within vets around raw feeding has had an evolution and it is continuing to evolve. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's a great thing. I'm a raw feeding advocate, obviously. But with what you do specifically, it's certainly a blend of alternate therapies as well as traditional medicine. How have you found your peers have, have received what you do and as you continue, which you no doubt do, to evolve in your theories and practices? Has there been – have there been any pushback or is it accepting or what's the, what's the situation oh, look, in, the, in, it, the, it in the private vet's room? It depends on, on the, the, the kind of community that I'm moving in. If there's, there's a real range in the profession. There's a lot of people that are very orthodox and very closed-minded about alternative complementary therapies. There's still a lot of vets that if you go in there with and want to feed your dog raw, they say, oh, you're going to poison your dog, they're going to get salmonella and die, you know, notwithstanding that there's been much larger amounts of processed foods with, you know, that have had to be withdrawn from the market because of bacterial contamination than raw foods. But at the same time, there's a real growing movement of people who are interested because there's such a big movement in the human world towards greater holistic, complementary, alternative therapies. And, you know, there's a a yearly integrative or holistic veterinary conference that happens in Australia. And this year I'm going to be talking about energy healing. Cool. Which is pretty cool. I'm going to be talking to a room full of peers about um, energy healing as as the ultimate adjunctive therapy because it can do no harm and it, it, it does good, right? And there is research that shows that energy healing and some good research, you know, A-grade, double-blinded, randomised and reproduced studies that show really significant, greater-than-placebo effects from, from energy healing interventions. Now, science gets a headache and just wants to go home and go to bed and put a pillow over its head because they, don't, they can't elucidate a mechanism of action. Is it science or is it more skewed towards potentially some sort of commercially driven venture? Or a bit of both? I think there's a lot of pressures in research and science. It depends where you're looking at it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the problems with now the science uh, is it's important to have good science. And at the same time, those who have the largest amount of money fund the research and that skews what kind of research is done and it can also uh you know the people who are doing the research and getting the money want to get results that are going to please the people that are paying for it now this might not be conscious and this is why they do always have to admit any um, interest and things like that in research but yeah it's problematic and certainly when you come to the research on diet well you know the people who've got the resources to do that are the big multi-billion processed food companies You know, they're doing research with captive populations of, of lab-bred beagles that are probably not representative of your average dog in any way, shape or form. And they're not doing a control against a fresh whole food diet to see if a fresh whole yeah. food diet is going to be better because there's an active disincentive for them to do anything like that. Yeah, it's bad business. Um, 
It's 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 funny. You you know you talk about um, you know the human sector that's potentially you know moving more towards you know maybe not alternate therapies, but diff. Well, I guess different is alternate. There's potentially something to, to be said that you know a long time ago when everything we consumed and worked with was natural, we were a lot happier and healthier. But then there's also if we're sort of maybe not our life expectancy, but that you know we didn't have protection as good a protection from the elements and apex predators yeah, that, and things like a, that. But I mean, we we may have been yeah, a healthier race of people before we decided to make ourselves sick with all this, you know, processed stuff and you know technology and you know whether it's you know, microwaves or whatever the hell it is that that people think making them sick. But when you say an alternate therapy, like something like energy healing, that's probably something that's been done th- thousands of years ago in in other cultures. So if if, oh, yeah. if we if we now I guess um, you know drop that into modern society, and let's say there are there is research done on it and it's shown, does that does the alternate therapy then become science once the, the it's been backed by research? Is that now part of science? And then we have to look somewhere else you know what i mean that's what happens yeah. with science is that you get something new uh you know you have this kind of hierarchy of evidence that goes from case studies to um lower grade studies right up to your double blinded placebo controlled a grade studies for an established intervention or therapy then the highest grade of evidence is your your, your double blinded a grade placebo controlled yeah. randomized study but when you're looking at something that is new something that is novel something that has not been studied before you got to start with case studies and the lower grade evidence and then you do the next level up of research then you do the next level up and the next level up so in the beginning and this is where i think scientific orthodoxy has lost its way a bit is that you start off with case studies and a lot of the scientific orthodoxy says that's just a case study that's really crappy evidence and you should just go away and never talk to us again yeah Right, they don't understand that, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But in essence, I think once you understand science, and once you understand how to look at a study and see how it's constructed and assess whether or not it's actually credible and valuable evidence, there's a lot of value in it. But you know, it's a real skill learning how to do that with research papers because they're complex yeah. beasts, and you need to understand a lot before you can interpret them effectively. Well, I apologise for taking you off track there, but I found that super interesting. Okay, to to finish off, Dr. Edward, uh, very selfishly, I'm going to need you to dedicate some time to me personally and my my plan with Frank the Bulldog Pug. Now, he's 14 on the 20th of May. He's got Cushing's disease, Mm -hmm. uh, so he is is on some medication from that. He's on a raw diet, but full disclosure, he does get treats. There is absolutely some treats he gets. Sometimes I'll... You know, give him a little bit of cooked chicken or whatever it is, so he doesn't go without. He's he's pretty good otherwise. He there there is potentially a mass on his spleen, which, to be honest, mm-hmm. I, I've got no interest in having him prodded and poked for a diagnostic uh, procedure on that. I don't really see that the point in it, but I know that the end is coming. So right now, you know, he's not at the point of I have to take him to the vet in the next three days. What do I do now and what's and and what things should I put in place right now? Well, number one is a whole lot of love. Tick. A whole lot of appreciation. Um, you know, learning how to, to do the, the, the whole energy body balance body work would 
likely help you help him be more comfortable and maybe give him a bit of an increase in mobility and energy levels and things like that uh, you want to make sure that he's on appropriate pain relief because a dog that age is going to be living with pain uh, now the body work helps with that too because you can deal with soft tissue pain with the body work uh -huh. intervention yep um, cbd cbd whole plant Cannabis extract is a medicine that I think just about every old animal on the planet should be on because it's a wonderful anti-inflammatory. It supports the immune system. It's got multiple, multiple benefits. It's super safe. You know, my whippet's having that and it's definitely slowed down the progression of her dementia and it's made her more mobile and less painful. Brilliant. Um, getting some antioxidants, so throwing some blueberries into the meal. If you can get... Um, Thankfully, Big Dog already has some blueberries in it. Producer Camilla here is telling me Big Dog already contains the blueberries. Obviously, depending on season. On seasonality, but, yeah. of course. There we go. Big Dog's the answer. And then what about what about from a mental point of view? Do I, I actually have to just start thinking to myself, okay, you know, he's if he's 14, that means he's, what, 98 in human years. He's lived a good life. He's been sport rotten his entire life. He's loved back as hard as he's been loved. And I just need to say, hey, that's his, his job here is done. Right? I need to become comfortable with that. Well, yeah, the, I think there's a big thing from the human perspective of being willing to let you go, let your pet go and, and kind of actively set them free. Yeah. Untangle yourself from emotionally. So from an energy kind of perspective, one practice that I get people to do is to bring a colour of energy, whatever colour of energy feels best to you, into your heart because from an energetic perspective, there's these kind of cords of connection energetically from you to your heart to your dog's heart. And if you start bringing energy in to start dissolving them, I'm probably going to make you cry now because every time I do yeah. that, most people, there's often a lot of tears come up. Close. But what you start doing with this coloured energy is is getting the attachment soft and, and dissolved, not disconnecting them. But when the animal then does go, that cord can slip out of that heart centre without tearing and damaging the energetics of your heart centre. But nearly every time when I lead someone through this, they burst into tears. So I'm sorry uh, if I no, no, no. do that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm protected by the technology we're talking over. If you were here in person, I have no doubt it would be Waterworks <laughs> Road right now. Um, yeah. Dr. Edward, I love your work, mate. Um, you know, I say this to a lot of vets. I think you're doing God's work. So, mate, keep going. Gee, okay, I you will. nearly got me then. You nearly got me then. I, 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 you see, you this, this superpower is real. <laughs> yeah, you are doing God's work, mate. Keep it up. And um, look, you, you're based in Townsville. Where are you based? No, no, these days I'm in Melbourne. In Melbourne. Um, if you want to work with me from a veterinary perspective, you can go to thehealingvet.com and check out how to do that. Uh, I work both in person here in Melbourne and online all around Australia, all around the world. And also check out wholeenergybodybalance.com. Come along and do our free silent pain masterclass series, which includes a, a, a free introductory workshop with the hands-on stuff too. And where can people find you on the socials, mate? You're on all the uh, the standard platforms? Uh, the Healing Vet. You just search for The Healing Vet on Facebook and um, Insta. I think it's the underscore healing underscore vet on insta awesome mate hey thank you so much for stopping by and talking to us here on pause and listen it's been a real treat you're welcome I look, I look forward to the next one well i think we've got a few other topics we can uh we can delve into mate which i'm, I'm really looking forward to um if you're listening that was the healing vet dr edward bathingsweight um now he does have an article out on the topic we've discussed today 
or is it not out yet? When, when can we expect that to be dropped onto the Big Dog website? Soon. Soon. Okay. Well, if you're hearing this podcast, it'll probably be... By the time you're hearing this yeah, podcast, it should be live. It'll be close to the, to the date that that article's live, and it's got a really good... Um, list of of pointers and indicators for you to look for and uh, a lot of the stuff that we've discussed today is contained in that article if you consume your information a little bit differently and that's at big.petfoods.com and if you've got any questions about it you can email the team at big dog customer care at big.petfoods.com dr redwood we'll bid you adieu thank you so much sir you're welcome. Thank you. All right. Now, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to so you never miss any episodes and please have a moment, if it allows, to jump on the platform to give it a rating because I think uh, Dr. Edwin, Edwin and myself had a pretty conversation, pretty good conversation. So give us five stars if for no other reason than to stroke my fragile ego. Look forward to catching <laughs> up soon and give your pooches a scratch from me. Cheerio. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information and content, visit the Big Dog Pet Foods website. Please note that the information discussed in these podcasts is general in nature and has been provided in good faith for educational and informational purposes only. The information provided is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional advice or care. If any of the topics discussed raise questions or concerns for you regarding the health of your pet, we recommend that you consult your veterinarian or trusted pet health provider for an individual assessment and advice. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.